Welcome to devmo.fm, a podcast dedicated to the tools, techniques, and technologies used in modern web development. I'm Andrew Welch from NY Studio 107. I'm Patrick Harrington from Mildly Geeky in Boston. And I'm Matt Stein from Pixel and Tonic in Austin. And today we have on Ryan McCullough. How you doing, Ryan? Hey guys, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Yeah, no worries. And you are the founder of this thing called Amesmo, and we're interested in finding out about it. So if you had rented a bareboat catamaran and we're sailing towards the Great Blue Hole in Belize, and one of your shipmates said to you, hey, what is a Mesmo anyway? What would you tell them? Great question. So I would tell them Mesmo is a way to deploy your PHP application faster than you can in other places. Nice. So is it kind of like, so one of the things that I use all the time, and I think some of the other folks here use it as well is Laravel Forge. And so Forge is, it's a provisioner and it can then also use DigitalOcean or other places to spin up your your VPS where you're going to be hosting stuff. And it has like a little CP for doing some kind of stuff. How is a Mesmo different or what additional things does it do and what does it do different and, and that type of thing? Yeah. So first off, I love Forge. I actually was a user of Forge prior to starting a Mesmo and- You don't so have the- to, you can say it was, you know, you, you created a Mesmo to make up for the deficiencies in fours. That's all right. That's allowed. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So one, one of the biggest differences between a Mesmo and Forge is that with Forge, you need to have a VPS, a backing cloud provider, right? But with a Mesmo, you don't have to have your VPS because a Mesmo is backed by Docker. So kind of the cloud provider is built into the a Mesmo's offering. Wait a minute. Okay. So it uses Docker, but you still have to, it's got to be hosted somewhere, right? It's down in his basement. It's fine. Everything will be fine. It's, it's, it's yeah. like magic or what's going on? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I have a couple servers in my closet that yeah. host the, the, the site. There's a UPS. Yeah, they, they never turn off. It's all good. No, but um, so it's backed by AWS now. So yeah, I'm, I'm using a, it's a custom container engine. I'm not using Kubernetes because I started in 2018 and I didn't use Kubernetes because I needed a lot more flexibility than Kubernetes offered. So so yeah, it's it's backed by so the servers live on AWS, but it's different than, you know, having your own AWS server that you use Forge for. A lot of things are automated out of the box and you don't have to think about managing a server or applying PHP updates or operating system updates. And I, I don't know if Forge does that these days, but... Well, it will do security updates for you, but you still have to reboot the server in order for those to apply. So it sort of is automated, but sort of is not. But I think another big difference, if I understand Amesmo correctly, is that it kind of combines what Laravel Forge does with what Envoyer does, right? Because doesn't Amesmo do deployments for you as well? Yeah, that's a great point too. I, I didn't mention that like five minutes ago when you asked the first question, but yeah, that's one of the biggest features of Amazon. It does the automatic deployments for you out of the box. And are they going to be atomic deployments? Yeah, they're they're atomic deployments, you know, zero downtime slash atomic deployments. So it does a, a an atomic directory swap at the time of your deployment. So current requests to your application aren't going to be affected by your Git push. Okay. So um, I would imagine like I've seen some other kind of Docker deployment methods and the way they work is the existing containers continue to serve existing requests, but any new requests go to the newly spun up container. Is that kind of how you're doing it here or is it a little bit different under the hood? Under the hood, a a new container isn't spun up. However, that's an interesting theory. Um, I haven't or an interesting concept, but it's a lot more simple than that. It's probably similar to the way Envoyer does it, 
where they swap out the current release symlink with the release directory. And for everybody out there, I want to make sure that Matt is still awake and paying attention. So Matt, <laughs> tell, tell everybody what an atomic deployment is and like why, what's the point? Like why would we bother doing it? I think for uh, smoothness, ease of... What, like smooth peanut butter? What are we talking about? No, I, I, I was... I was just not prepared to answer this question. Um, So the the difference, the difference, no, I understand what the difference is though. So right now I use with my forge setups, I use what are called YOLO deployments, which is, it just uses an SSH pull, you know, it pulls the latest, whatever from the repository and then runs a very brief shell script basically to run migrations. Um, And if you're paying attention while it happens, you know, you could, you could have an outage that, you know, over the 15 second period that it takes or whatever. Right. Because um, requests are coming in while Composer is doing its Composer update thing, right? Then right. potentially bad things could happen. Right. Which is why that's referred to as the YOLO method. Uh, you, you can Google it. <laughs> uh, but uh, atomic deployments are, as the name implies, atomic. So what happens is that it's it's an actual grown up deployment process where you're managing the, the process of updating your site or your build or whatever, running migrations, and then doing all the things that you need to do without sending traffic to it. And then once that's done, once your health check, I think there's a health check involved. Usually there's a health check involved here. I'm just going to play confident. Once it says, okay, green light, we're ready with the updated version of the site, it routes traffic to that. So there's minimal, if any, downtime. And it it sounds super fancy, but the atomic deployments that I've been doing for a long time, and maybe Ryan can tell me that I'm just doing it terrible. It really is as simple as you just deploy it to a separate directory, right? That's it. Like everything, the composer update happens in a, in a different directory. The, the live directory that is serving requests right now stays where it is. Everything gets deployed in the separate directory. Composer does its thing, whatever else has to happen. And then at the end of that process, you switch a symlink from where it was to this newly deployed thing. And that, and that's it. That's all that it it does is that simplistic or is that kind of what you're doing as well Ryan No that's 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 exactly how it works in theory In the, theory well, Yeah like um <laughs> go on Yeah there you. you know there's but some it works. that's how it works <laughs> There's some like directory permission insurance there you know cuz sometimes it gets messy with I don't know if you guys have ran into this problem where PHP can't read some files so a lot of little housekeeping things like that happen as well and the important thing is that nginx isn't reloaded well unless you want it to right wouldn't there be cases where you want nginx or not actually not nginx i guess you don't need that to reload but you do need php fpm to be restarted right to clear the the op cache well the great thing about this symlink thing is that yeah. op cache doesn't even need to care about um, being recached i don't know if you guys saw that thread with one of the founders of php rasmus but he goes into depth about why you don't have to use why you don't have to reload php fpm because opcatch doesn't care about you know where the file's located so the opcatch won't need to be invalidated because the path is different right yeah the real path is different so Correct. yeah if you were to deploy a php application on a meso and then you were to type php echo real path or something like that you're not going to see the slash web root slash current that's what nginx sees in the nginx configuration but you know php will see the real path which means it's kind of like the sim link followed link so i've been restarting php fpm for no reason yeah really <laughs> like hmm, why am I well, doing okay that? this is it's only actually- a feature of atomic deployments though right yeah okay. correct. yolo yolo needs a restart yeah okay still needs it as long as the path doesn't change your your yolo deployment need it yeah that but was yeah, a big uh, learning moment for matt that he needed to, okay continue <laughs> momentarily clenched up so 
So Ryan, the reason I mentioned that about the idea of the Docker container continuing to serve old requests, is I know we, we have had Matt Gray on here to talk about his serve.host where he's kind of doing that kind of container orchestration. And that's the way that works for him. And then also that's the way that AWS Fargate works, which is kind of cool, right? So the way that you do it is each deployment is a new Docker image that you push up to Fargate or served or there are any number of hosts that do this. And what ends up happening is the existing containers keep running with all of their settings and handling requests and whatever they're doing. And then as new requests come in, they get uh, routed to the new container, which I thought was kind of clever. Like it's kind of a, a really neat way to do it. I guess the only downside to that would be that you are deploying a whole new container anytime that you, you need to update the application. But presumably that has just the stuff that that application needs. You know? Yeah, that sounds interesting. It, it sounds like a path that I'm definitely going to explore. I didn't. I wasn't aware that's the way Fargate does it. It definitely sounds great. The timing on it, I don't know, but that's something I'm going to look into to see if that's a possibility for Amazmo going forward into the future, you know, as I continue to iterate on the product and the service. Yeah, so let's get back to Amazmo, actually. I mean, so it's a service that allows me to do the full round trip. Right. If I'm a, a web developer, it will take care of the deployment part for me. It will take care of the hosting part for me. And the, you don't have to worry about downtime. And there's also monitoring. So it's kind of supposed to be just a, an all-in-one solution for people that need to host a site. Is that correct? Yeah. And that's a great way to put it. So if you want to host a PHP application now, you, you kind of have to do a lot of apt-get, install, setting up Nginx, probably setting up MySQL and, and a bunch of permissions. And you have to maintain the firewall because, you know, you don't want to expose MySQL. You don't want to expose the PHP FBM socket to the world. And when you're running an application that you care about, you also probably want to have backups, like backups of your MySQL database. So one feature that Amesmo does is automated backups. And that was a feature that I implemented early on. And they're optionally encrypted with an encryption key that you provide. Well, let me ask you about the pricing in terms of how this works. So first of all, is this something where it's more like DigitalOcean, where you pick a VPS with various settings, or is it uh, scalable? Like, is it a load balance? Like, what 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 is it under the hood? Yeah, so under the hood, we have a set of container instances that you you can launch. So there's three different plans, or actually four. There is a free tire, but that's not on the pricing page anymore. A free tire? Yeah. Free I, I need tires. I need a free tire. Just, Anybody else want free tires? Money. The other three are very expensive. <laughs> yeah, it's there. Um, if you create an account, you'll be able to see that you can use the free tire from the instance launch page. Yep. I removed it because, well, honestly, I removed it because it, it doesn't look that great with a four column layout in the pricing. So <laughs> that's kind of a stupid way to want reason to remove it but yeah yeah but, so but does is it scalable though is my question like will it or do i just pick an instance and then this is what i get or if i get featured on the today show like does it scale up or, or what is how does this work yeah you can scale it up so with like let's say you start with the first instance type and you get like 512 megabytes of memory and you know one nginx worker if you're going on the today show you know you might want to scale it up to a higher memory instance type with more cpus allocate to it and you can do that 
that in one click, right? The Docker instance will be reallocated without a reboot needed. You know, throw it out there. I think you're going to want some static caching as well if you're, and I don't know if, if there's any plans for that, but man, we had a client get featured. It wasn't even on the today. What was it? It was like Good Morning America's Afternoon Show, which like figure that one out. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a, see, I'm so out of touch because I canceled cable, but there's a Good Morning America Afternoon Show? Yeah. Uh, GTM, what's his name? The, the big guy with the gap in his teeth, the football player. But is it, uh, it's yeah. no longer Good Morning. Well, and there's the, yeah, it's on from 12 to 2, I think. And yeah, I mean, it was a, a big rush of trap. I mean, we had well over 4,000, 5,000 people, and that was for the afternoon show. So I, I would challenge you a little bit and say, man, if there's not some static caching there, or, and that may be something to advise clients on who expect that kind of traffic to put a cloud flare or a stack path or something like that out in front, because man, that, that rush of traffic is big for any any VPS can be overwhelmed by that. Yeah, well, absolutely. I would imagine there's nothing there's nothing stopping you from adding cloud flare in front of it, right, mm. Brian? No, definitely not. I mean, I would definitely recommend Cloudflare as well. I use Cloudflare myself, and that's just a, a great tool, great service. I'm a huge fan of their their caching feature. And now, it, what it, if I wanted to get down and dirty, though? So we had, in a similar vein to Patrick, we had a client, and this is actually really funny. I, t- <laughs> I tweeted, I tweet, it's, it is, it's kind of amusing. I tweeted out about this. So apparently, so we did a, a website for Barefoot Contessa. So she's Ina Garden, and she's like super popular in terms of, you know, people who like her recipes and all that kind of of stuff and all of these recipe home doing stuff sites have just been getting slammed during the COVID-19 stuff because everyone's at home baking their bread. I think it probably, I'm sure Matt has made it on his own bread. Like everyone's doing yeah, like their own doing sourdough going right now. I'm sure. There you go. I'm sure his sourdough is, is the yeast is doing stuff, you know? So anyway, they, whatever they, the, you're, what is it? The mother yeast or something like that. <laughs> Right? Isn't it called that? Like the mother something or other? And they, yeah, like and the they keep it around. Or something, and yeah. Nobody calls it the mother yeast. The same people <laughs> that say undoing. No, there's some. No, there's some mother something that they keep around for like hundreds of years, and they're constantly keeping it alive. A- anyway, whatever. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. <laughs> I'm going to look it up later, Matt. But anyway, her website was getting hit like with a lot of stuff. So she posted and the way it works is she's got tons of followers on social media. So when she posts a new recipe with everyone being home, the website just gets absolutely pummeled. So that happened. (laughs) And then... The website actually was brought down by this amount of traffic that was on it, okay? And what proceeded to happen is really interesting. So I was contracted to come in there and help them fix it, to make it so that it would work better. And the funny thing about it is that there started to appear news stories saying, you know, Ida Gardens, I think they were like potatoes or something, or so popular, people brought down her website. You know what I mean? Fair and balanced uh, news organization decided to link that one. Well, that was one. Okay. And as soon as I saw that, as soon as I saw that one link, I'm like, you know what? That's a really weird thing for someone to link to. I bet you a a savvy publicist is involved here. Then I started to see the same story from a bunch of different news outlets. A whole bunch of different news outlets thought it was newsworthy that her potato recipe brought the site down. So clearly, this was a savvy PR person who's like, you know what? We can ride this. We can tell every the world that Ina Garden's potatoes are so damn popular that they people were thundering to her doorstep and brought the site down. The, We've got a hot <laughs> potato, people. We've got a hot potato. <laughs> I'm serious. Like day in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. And I, I, well, I guarantee you that this was an orchestrated thing. You know what I mean? All of these organizations didn't suddenly decide to write an article on Ina's potatoes out of the blue. You know what I mean? Like this is nonsense. But anyway, we 
<laughs> so we fixed the problem by implementing a fast CGI static cache on the site and everything was great, but it was really funny because the article about the site being down was bringing more traffic to the site than was there before, you know? And so we had them, we had them post, you know, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, like all at the same time. We had like almost 5,000 simultaneous static cache worked great. But the reason why I really told the story is, so what if I wanted to get my hands dirty and I wanted to implement a fast CGI cache? I'm guessing I, oh, I probably couldn't do that with a Mesmo. Yeah, fast CGI cache in the PHP FBM layers isn't supported now, but that's a great idea. And as the founder of a Mesmo, I'm always listening to people's feedback, you know, like, feedback like you well you didn't really give feedback but you know ideas <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I didn't do anything feedback. useful i consider feedback yeah fast cgi caching is definitely something that i want to look into now yeah for for recipes though you know why are you using dynamic pages for recipes right if if i were to make a recipe site i would just probably cache it um, without even going to php i mean that's my personal idea no, and, but... I, and i and i actually agree with you so when the this this is an older site first of all right so it's not, it's been around for quite some time. Had I been involved with putting that up the, in the first place, I absolutely would have fast CGI cached it. And I think that that's the best way to do it because it gives you the benefits of the dynamicism and also the benefits of a static cache. I think for them as content authors, the idea of statically generating everything probably wouldn't work out real well if they were to publish something and then have to wait for a build and a, and a deploy process. You know, if they're using something like Gatsby or some other tool to do it, I just don't think it would really be a great solution here. But I do think a fast CGI cache would be wonderful. The reason why there were still dynamic pages being served by PHP is that it's also an e-commerce site. And there is quite a bit of e-commerce that's intermixed with the content and a dynamic cart that is on there. And yeah, all that stuff can be done via Ajax. It just wasn't originally. So we had to go in and strategically fast CGI cache the pieces of it. But no, I agree with you 100% that in general, most sites would benefit from static caching of one form or another, for sure. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I totally have empathy on, you know, not having the ability to rewrite the thing, right? I mean, if you were designing it from today, you'd probably have that thought in mind, but yep. sometimes you can't just rewrite things. doesn't make yeah. business sense. Yeah. Right? And this was a, and it's, we're going to be redoing this site at some point and we're going to be baking in a fast CGI cache into the site because it just, it makes sense because she is someone that receives that amount of traffic that it really does make sense to have that baked into the mix. No pun intended. I was see what I did that. there? Yeah. See what, see what I did there, Matt? Do you like that? No. <laughs> Well, okay. Let, let, for, let's forget about Ina's potatoes for now. So fast CGI cache is something you might be looking into in the future, but it kind of doesn't matter because people could just layer Cloudflare on top if they wanted to, right? Yeah. And, and that solves the problem of caching static pages, or I guess you could also override the headers from the host and just cache everything. But if you're doing some dynamic pages like, oh, this person's logged in, hi, X, then... right. That probably won't work. It would work, but you would have to rewrite that part to use front-end JavaScript to do the dynamicism, for instance. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a great idea. That's probably why I'm seeing a lot of menus load from Ajax, yeah. you know, when I click that top right corner button. Like, I think Stripe does that. Yeah, no, that's definitely why. Because you want to, and I've done this for a number of sites, and it just takes thinking about it differently. But when you're fast CGI cache, or static caching in general, a page, it's the same thing delivered to everybody. And then whatever little bits are unique, 
unique, you can load that via Ajax, via front-end JavaScript. Like that's the easiest way to do it. Yeah, and then you can also cache the JavaScript you know, at the CDN layer and hopefully they've already loaded the page because then they can get the 304 not modified and the browser will just use the existing in-memory script. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But let's get back to um, a Mesmo. So who are you targeting here? So how, what kind of developers are you looking to to get onboard here? You're looking to onboard freelancers and, and small agencies or you're looking for larger corporations or you just bring it on whoever whoever wants to do it like what do you, what kind of customers are you looking for yeah so the i can say that the target age the the target customer definitely isn't a huge huge corporation the the existing customers that i i've talked to are freelancers and and solo developers that have a few side projects and and some early stage startups and that that was actually one of the first customers that i got it's it's a startup that's building using a laravel application they're doing some export things and from here now that i have established the offering like in the market i i want to go to small agencies and and try to solve their problems of maintaining five or so clients i don't know how it works i've talked to a few agency owners and they use like a huge ec2 instance and they're using forge that's like the worst way to do it though because you're creating your own shared hosting Yes. And that's that's a big difference between a Mesmo and shared hosting. It's that if you have a few clients, you can launch an instance for each of them and their bugs or their vulnerabilities and their WordPress WordPress plugins aren't going to affect you know, your other clients. So for someone like an agency, would they pay the bill? Would they is there any way for them to then have that end client paid the bill or how does that work? Yeah. So that hasn't really been thought about yet, but if that's how an agency works, I always wonder that, you know, I haven't worked in an agency, but if you, you design a website for a client and then there are costs associated with running a website, like the ongoing cost per month, how does that work? You can do it a number of different ways and different agencies and different freelancers do it different ways. One way is some people just won't and some agencies just won't work with a client unless there is some kind of a maintenance contract to maintain the site, update the site. And then also that would include the whatever hosting that they're doing. The way I've seen other people do it is that they just have the client pay for the instance, like the DigitalOcean instance or whatever it is, so that they own that. And then they are paid for the retainer. How do you do it, Patrick? Uh, Typically, they're paying for their own hosting. And I separate that from a retainer agreement. Once in a while, they've been tied together. But I find it it just gets to be too much of a, a challenge one way or another, either when the retainer comes to to an end and then need to figure out how to transition over. But yeah, typically I have them own their own hosting and, and the retainer agreement is separate. And Matt, why don't you let Ryan know about the spreadsheet? Oh, oh well, I went through a phase. I think it's mostly <laughs> over now where... I wanted to see how quickly I could get PHP to run. So I tried just about every VPS provider I could and ended up, you know, figuring out the high clock speed and multiple processor. Yeah, I made a large, large spreadsheet of just comparing benchmarks on a ton of different providers. And the reason I still cling to specific VPSs or VPS services is just that they're so fast. And that's something that, I don't know, Andrew just forced me to reveal. So that's that's it. I don't know how that relates here but well it's relevant because one of the things that you used well you can tell us what you used to do but this is what i believe you used to do is that you would just pick these relatively inexpensive vpss and you would just kind of manage them for your client is that right or did it vary yeah no i i'm i would 
would and still do to some degree search for my champions among providers because I like DigitalOcean, for example, is price per I, I had my metric is is performance per dollar, basically. And you can get into some really sketchy hosts where performance is great and uptime is just abysmal or support is non-existent. But I would try to find like good value hosts and then I use those for clients. The interesting thing to me about you is that you're willing to do that. You're willing to manage the host you're willing to, to deal with whatever research you need to do to, to find it. But I think there are a lot of agencies and freelancers that are just like, that's not what I do. I, I design websites. I'm really good at building front end stuff. I don't care about the DevOps. I don't want to know anything about it. I just want a place to put it. Have you ever felt that way? Or have you seen other people that kind of that's their thing? Are we asking Matt or Ryan? We're asking Matt. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that my that came from a place of of casual addiction. I just I liked benchmarking them and seeing you know what numbers I could get and where the best value was. But ultimately, I also learned to use Forge instead of my beautiful complex setup process that I would go through, wasting inordinate amounts of time just managing servers. Um, oh, that's so right. I, Wasn't I, like whining to you, like why are you doing yeah. this, Matt? Like yeah. provisioning I mean, with Forge. Well, I mean, that's your role in general is, Matt, why the hell would you do it that way? And, you know, we have friendly banter. But um, yeah, but I, I mean, I learned to use Forge because I'd spin these things up and, and change often. But what was the question? Yeah, but I mean, you don't have to. You could just as well use DigitalOcean or whatever and plug it into Forge. I don't know. Um, well, I think but, there are just lots of people that their forte is in building these things. Yeah. And that's why like a Mesmo could be really interesting to them is because it would take care of the deployment process and the hosting process and the quote unquote DevOps part of it. Right, Ryan? I mean, that's the idea is like you want a freelancer or agency that just they're good at building their stuff and they want someone else to deal with all the rest of it. Yeah, that's the idea, right? To take out that time that the developer or the freelancer needs to maintain a, a website for their clients. I feel like that that's where I, I mean, I, I definitely played with a Mesmo because I'm I'm learning to waste less of my time slowly. Most grown adults have figured this out pretty well by now, but I'm just wasting it in other places. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> wasting it productively. And that's what a Mesmo does really, really well. I don't get as many opportunities to screw things up or value shop. <laughs> But it's almost like, to me, it was like using Netlify, where it's a really, really tight package uh, where I can just point to a repository, spin up a thing, annoy Ryan a lot with support requests that he responds immediately to. I didn't even know this. So you guys have an established relationship. Is that true? Yes. Yes, we do. A very great one. Yeah. He he did not kick me off. Uh, he actually responded to things and and helped me understand things, fix things like is clearly very interested in supporting the, the product and his customers. But yeah, it's it's smooth. And the things that you would want to be there are there, like the backups that he mentioned, you know, the ability to you know, play with PHP and I think Nginx to some degree, thoughtful deployments. It's just if you want to do the opposite of what, you know, spiritually I want to do, which is just find interesting ways to waste time. It, it's great. You spin up a thing, it works, it's stable. I've put it through my long-term secret uptime test and it's fabulous. I don't know. It's just a nice package if you want to not worry about DevOps so much. Now, are you still a customer, Matt? You have to have full, full disclosure here. Kind of. My... I have like the my guinea pig site is on, on Netlify because it's that you know the product of that time sink. But uh, so so kind of I have I have an instance that's still running and I'm I'm in the the paid tier. Okay, all right. So Ryan is collecting money from you. That's that's amazing. And the fact that Ryan, it's a testament to you and your patience that you passed the Stein torture test. I mean that's that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I'm I'm really grateful for passing the Stein torture test. And great, well, that's a phrase now. 
Yeah. You know, and I actually talked to a a person that used a Mesmo and he he did mention the same thing. It it seems really like isolated, you know, like the BSD has the jails. He's like, oh, it sounds, it's kind of like you're in a jail and you really can't break anything. But, you know, some people, some developers, they're interested in like controlling every single part of the operating system and the stack. And Andrew, yeah, and that's no, really I'm cool right. too. I, I'm actually one of those those persons too. I, I like to. But I would say, say no to those people. Like, make sure you, you know, because you could spend a, a whole lot of time building out an entire fast CGI cash cash busting set, and that you're going to get Andrew is maybe going to use it, and you know, that's about it. For you know, I, I would got to be careful. You got to say no to some people. I'd also I refine know. that pitch because a mesmo, it's like jail, is just it doesn't have the. <laughs> really I don't think that's not going to work. You want it, you want it to be more like a mesmo is like a four-star resort that you get there and the refrigerator is fully stocked and you, you someone comes and changes the sheets for you you know what i mean that, that's what you want you don't want it's it's different than a like a self-service rental yeah i like to say it's like the netify for php i mean that's kind of the goal i know netify is a huge successful company but at the end of the day i want it to be as simple as netify to run these dynamic websites and dynamic applications yeah for sure that makes complete sense but patrick to your point about about the fast CGI cache, I don't agree. I think that it could be something that he could bake into a Mesmo and it wouldn't be that big of a deal. So, I mean, Matt Gray, for instance, does it for served. Like if you want it, it's just a toggle and you can also have routes that you want to exclude from it or whatever. And it's really quite simple to do. You know, I think it's I think it's kind of nice. Really. Yeah, I'd almost say maybe if it was in something like if he was like an S max age HTTP header and something like that could signal it. But yeah, the more, I, I don't know, just, I, I, I just think for a product like this, just not trying to tend to the fringes too much is, is a good thing, especially early on. And the thing I've learned about DevOps is I'm best at it when other people are doing it for me. So if Ryan solved that static caching, <laughs> that's a compelling feature. Well, that's what I mean. I don't think that static caching is fringe. In fact, I think it's becoming more and more mainstream. And that's the whole reason why Jamstack and Netlify are exploding, or at least one of the reasons is that you can have just static files sitting out there on the very CDN edges and away you go, you know? Yeah, but but they're doing it at the CDN layer rather than at, at the application layer. To me, I, I think that's a perfect example of where a CDN should handle that, but that's just me. It still works the same. You can still do this at the CDN. No, 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 no. The actual work of the static cache is actually being done at the build time for Netlify. So it's being done at build time, whereas if you're using fast CGI cache, it's done at request time is when it's done. So it's actually moved further out, closer to the edge in a way. And it can be done a little bit more fine grain because you don't have to build like the whole thing before shipping it out. Yes, I know Gatsby is doing incremental builds. Don't at me. I know that that's a thing. But the, the real point is that I do think that kind of like what Ryan was saying before, like, why are you bothering with a dynamic site if you're just serving up recipes? Why do all the work on every request if you don't need to? Like just static cache the thing unless it really is changing for every single person that is showing up. Anyway, I, I think that that would be a useful thing. But my my question is, if I wanted to get my hands dirty, can I go in and edit the Nginx config? Or is that something that is not available to me, Ryan? Yeah, so that's not available, unfortunately, because then you'd probably need root access. And <laughs> You're not, you're not going to give it to me. <laughs> I was thinking about about that. How can I, you know, allow these nginx.conf files to be edited? And it's probably possible to do that. But right now, today, no, it's not, unfortunately. But um, well, that's you do kind of what you kind of what Forge does, where they've got a privileged, you know, the the files are owned by Forge, and 
they have an editor built into it where you can just edit the file. I know it's different because you've got containers running and all that kind of stuff, but there's got to be some way to do it without giving them root. Yeah, actually thinking about it now, the WW data user does own the Nginx conf. I believe. Actually, I don't know. I'd have to confirm that. But the default user on a Mesmos deployer, and it's also part of the www.data slash or hyphen data group. So it might be possible. I'll have to check. That's an interesting question. I, I was think thinking about that this morning, too. It's it's funny that you mentioned that. I, I was thinking about that earlier when I woke up. <laughs> I think the technical problem is smaller than the potential support problem it could create. <laughs> like I think it was Matt was talking about or maybe it was was uh, Patrick about someone like me, like getting in there and changing stuff. Well, then you got to support them when they screw it up. Mm-hmm. But you've already made it through the Matt Stein torture test, so now maybe you're ready for the Andrew Welch fortitude test. Oh my goodness! <laughs> my, 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 my wife will tell you that very few people want that, Matt. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking PHP support as a service. Well, I mean, that's kind of what you're doing, right? I mean, in some sense, yes, you are productizing the DevOps and selling it to people. But one of the reasons why they're buying it from you is so that they, well, number one, so they don't have to deal with that. But number two, if something goes wrong, it's your problem, not theirs. I think that's one of the biggest reasons. Yeah. And and that's kind of goes back to having that clean room type of, of offering, right? So it's very hard for someone to actually mess something up drastically where, you know, they would delete like the root file system on their container and then asking me like, oh, well, what's happening? Why isn't my site working? I think that's good, though. I mean, I think that you don't need to make a product that appeals to everyone. And if your target market is people that just don't want to deal with DevOps and they want someone else to support this thing, if anything goes wrong, I mean, I think that's a much larger market than people like me or Matt or Patrick that want to go in there and tweak everything. So, I mean, it makes sense to me that that's who you would target for sure. On that note, Ryan, you strike me as one person. How do you handle support? Like, what do you have an SLA in place for Mesmo? I mean, obviously, you use a large provider that's known and stable and everything and not some dangerous VPS providers. But how do you how do you manage support or what expectations do you set? Yeah, so takes a corporate job and all of a sudden he's he's talking the lingo, SLAs, all this stuff. I knew what an SLA was. Yeah, so I think that's a that's a great question, right? So right now, the support requests, I'll handle them you know, as they come in, you know, through Help Scout. However, but to have priority support, and this is something I, I put on the website recently for the, the business plan, I call it, I want to offer like a guaranteed support response time where, you know, I'm actually going to be prioritizing these customers over the people that don't have the priority support. So for example, if you have an emergency issue at like, I don't know, 7 a.m., then you're going to be able to get a response, right? Because you have that premium slash priority support. Sure. I, I'm this is kind of like the analogy, the Disney jump the line pass, right? <laughs> That's kind of what it is, right? Yeah. Yeah, kind of. It's interesting that like in the space, in the hosting space, you can't really call DigitalOcean if you're, you know, even if you're paying them like $50 a month, I I don't think you can call DigitalOcean, right? But, you know, they have a bunch of small business clients that are spending thousands per month and and they probably do have the ability to call someone if things are are messed up. Yeah. And I think that's the case with just about any service or provider. If you are substantial enough, you end up getting a representative for sure that handles it. Yeah. I mean, and I think you You've seen people like Rackspace, they've almost turned from a hosting company into more of a support company to deal with that sort of sort of a, a gap between the hosts that used to do everything and the hosts that do nothing. And now you can pay them to support it for you. I'd definitely still be interested. I haven't looked at their pricing in quite a while because, yeah, they, they've almost they've just turned into a customer service company. It, it feels like from my end, well, um, they they have a great business model, which is overcharge 
for services that are far behind what other other places are offering because there is still that mantra in the executive world of no one ever got fired for going with Rackspace. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and, and I know the support. Rackspace. Overcharge. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I'm being serious though, man. Like I've, I've looked into various clients that had hosting at Rackspace and I was astonished at what they were being charged and also astonished at how behind the time some of what they were offering was. And yeah, I know, I know people are going to tell me that their support is absolutely amazing and Mm. that's great, but I still think they're way overcharging. And I think they're riding on their name and specifically their name in a not super technical sphere, but a decision-making sphere. Yeah. Yeah. I I know the executive at Rackspace. So, you know, let's, let's use them. You know, I don't care how much it costs, right? That's probably the conversation that happens. Maybe. Well, and a lot of times like executives that are making the decisions for allocating money know about Rackspace. It is a, it's in their kind of circle of trust or circle of knowledge or whatever. So they just keep going with it. But if they had a, a CTO who could assure them that, hey, no, there are way better places we could be hosting, you know, then maybe there'd be a little less business going their way. I don't know. Yeah. That's just my experience with them, you know, and maybe my experience is completely lopsided. But every time I've gone in there with a client who was hosted on Rackspace, it was a lot of money and what they were getting was not that wonderful. And I've transitioned a, a number of clients off of it. Patrick, you, you're saying that you didn't think the support was even that great? I've found that, it, I mean, most of the time, unless it's something where they're having connectivity issues in a data center back when I think, yeah, they still do have their own data centers and whatnot. But mm-hmm. um, now I think they've, they've moved into much more what they're calling managed cloud customer service that, you know, they're just helping you with your AWS or whatever. Uh, They can do some of the high level, you know, PHP debugging, maybe Java debugging, whatever it is. But when it comes to the ins and outs of your own application, it's going to be hard for any host to just be able to go in and diagnose what the issues are. And so many times that's what the underlying problem is. It's not, you know, a broken Nginx config or something like that. It's, you know, that something is breaking in your application that takes your site down. Ryan, that should give you hope though. I mean, the fact that they are able to be a you know very support oriented company and still do incredibly well with it. I, I know that they've been around a long time, but I think that would show you that that's what a lot of people want is they want the end to end. You take care of the DevOps and give me the support, and there's plenty of room for that business. I think. Yeah, that sounds great. You know, and I actually like helping people with their application problems. It's an interesting contrast between running your application on DigitalOcean where you have to go to their community support forum and being able to actually get support from a Mesmo, for example, or me. Well, speaking of you, how did this get started? Like, how did you decide, hey, I'm going to run my own hosting? Is this something where you had been doing DevOps for a long time and decided to turn it into a product? Or how, how did a Mesmo become an actual thing? Yeah, so interesting question. So I started PHP or I started programming PHP like 10 years ago, right after I got out of high school and I wanted to build shopping carts, right? Because I wanted to sell things online and I was like, oh, I want to pay this company to host a shopping cart for me. So that started my journey with PHP and that's kind of like my first child where I loved who I love the most or only child, I guess that would be better to say. And (laughs) (laughs) from there, you know, I I, um, was continuing to host my PHP sites on like Liquid Web and DigitalOcean and things like that. And I ran a couple affiliate sites that you you never heard of called boominaudio.com. And I was building PHP apps. Then, then, you know, after I graduated college, I went to corporate world where I'm doing C-sharp.net. I'm Um, sorry. 
Yeah, it's, you know, it's interesting that we're, we're getting a lot of features from like Java land, you know, work the attributes now and things like that. But I still, oh, it's, not even, for- it's not even about the language. Like, honestly, I think every language sucks in its own little way. So I'm not really enthused about any, I, I, I any like language language. Um, yeah, I'm not. It's not that. It's just I know the kind of work that you're doing. Yeah, is what is why I said I'm sorry. It's not the language. Okay. That's why I love PHP because PHP is just it's so elegant in that you know you can just put a file on a server and then you have an app. You know, in in in, in some words. But to answer your question, you know, I still had that love for PHP and I wanted to be in in the PHP community and the PHP ecosystem. Mm-hmm. So I originally thought, you know, I'm going to try to automate the installation of WordPress sites without having to go through that wizard, right? That you go through, you know, what's your password, what's your database. Yep. And then it kind of grew into a generic PHP provisioning service slash deployment platform. And I was completely aware of Envoyer and Forge, but I didn't see anything that also gave you like the the hosting, right? I know that it's probably out there, but I saw a lot of, a lot of, similar forge sites that you know you they provide the provisioning you have to provide the server so i want to do it different where i provide the actual hosting as well as the deployment and all that automation Hmm. yeah the way that would work with forge is you integrate it with so if you've got a DigitalOcean or linode or aws or whatever account you can actually create a server inside of forge if you have linked it to your accounts at these various services yeah and and i think that's one of the biggest differences yeah. between a Mesmo and Forge, you know, and Forge might be more powerful, right? I know, you know, you can get a dedicated IP, right? Because you're on your own VPS and, but that's like the biggest difference. And, you know, I, I, I just loved PHP and I, I wanted to be able to be in the PHP ecosystem still because I love the development that's going on, all these new features that we're getting. And, you know, with PHP 8 coming out, we have a lot of, a lot of new things. So that's an interesting thing that you raised. So you don't get your own IP with the Mesmo. How do you handle DNS routing? How does that work? Yeah. So the, the DNS routing goes through a, a load balancer, you know, at the edge from when you type your website into your browser, then it goes to a IP address that might be, it's probably the same as, you know, a couple other instances on on the platform, but from the load balancer, then it gets routed into the containers via IP tables. But, you know, I was thinking maybe providing a dedicated IP as an add-on might be a service that I was thinking that I might implement, you know, in the future. So if you had 10 sites on a Mesmo, they would all be pointing their DNS at the same load balancer instance, and then it would take care of servicing the request from there. Is that how it works? If you had 10 sites, probably not. They probably all wouldn't be on the same IP because... 10 sites wouldn't fit on the backing the backing container engine, but maybe five of them would be on the same IP. Well, all I'm trying to get at here is if I'm editing the DNS, I have to point it somewhere. So where do I point it? Yeah, so you point it to the Mesmo IP address that's listed on the domain tab of the instance. So Got it. Okay, so that's something that you, you give out. Yeah, totally. It's- Got it. Got it. Well, that's fixed, though. I mean, that's a fixed IP, isn't it? I mean, I know it's not oh, the, yeah, I- yeah, the it's IP a, of the actual server. Yeah, it's a static IP for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. I guess I should have said dedicated IP. Okay, because, yeah, because I was just like, okay, what is he doing? Some kind of <laughs> dynamic DNS routing? C-naming. Like, what in the world <laughs> no. is going on? Yeah. It's simple. It's 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 more simple than that. Okay. Maybe CNAMing things. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Well, that makes sense. So you decided to make a Mesmo primarily because you you wanted to automate WordPress installs and you wanted to be part of the PHP community. Did you have it? Were you working on this while you were working your C-sharp job or did you quit and decide to do this on your own or how did that work out? Yeah. So I, I started this in 2018 and 
I was working on my C-sharp job and then I transitioned out of that and I'm doing a Mesmo now as the primary, primary thing. Nice. I mean, I think that's something that people like to hear from the point of view of they want you to have some skin in the game, not you know, oh, this is a a project that I work on weekends when I feel like it. Yeah, I, I definitely heard that. You know, is this company going to go out of business in like five five days? You know, can I trust them with my my GitHub account, whatever? Well, I think I, you I, get that with any newcomer, right? You get that with any kind of new service or whatever. And I think just time will take care of that. But also, I think it there's I don't know. I feel like there's less risk these days because it should be super easy to take your site and move it from host to host. You should have backup somewhere. You should have, you know, maybe media in the cloud. You know, I don't know. It, I don't know. It, it doesn't seem like that that big of a risk to me, really. Yeah, especially nowadays, everyone's using Git. And if you're not using Git or GitHub, Bitbucket, yeah. GitLab, it's probably considered a bad practice. So I don't I don't know if you guys have any clients that are doing FTP uploads still, but you know, that was huge, right? Like yeah. seven years ago. I, I mean, I'm, I'm aware of people that still do that. I don't consider <laughs> that to be a way to, a good way to do it, but I, you know, I mean, I'm aware that some people still do that. If people are, are working right now professionally with code and not using Git or some form of version control, they're probably having a pretty rough time and we should just be sympathetic because maybe, is- but I think you would be, I think you would be surprised. Surprised, Matt. I think you would be surprised. Even in the craft community, I think you would be surprised. Hmm. There are a decent number of people that that's what's happening. (laughs) (laughs) But that's nice, though, because people like that could, instead of having to learn all of this stuff in the middle, they can start using these services that meet them halfway, where they could use something like a Mesmo and they're like, you know what? You don't actually have to learn how to set up an atomic deploy because we're going to do it for you. And I do think that's valid. I, I think that whenever you're on the bleeding edge of anything, yeah, you can take all the time to invest, to learn it and all that kind of thing. But eventually there's going to be a service that catches up to it and then just does it for you. And it sounds like a Mesmo is one of those things that's kind of trying to fill that in. Yeah. Like a Mesmo makes the configuration assumptions for you and takes out the the time it would take you to research and Google things yep. to get, for example, a Laravel queue to run. Because yep. you can run the queue right from your terminal, but what if you exit your terminal? You know, you're going to have to do some Googling on how to set up Supervisor D, right? Yep. I know it well. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's not like a Mesmo is this proprietary thing, right? You could probably clone the offering, right? But I, I do believe like the, the primary thing is that it saves you time, right? Right, right. Sure. It's, I mean, it's also pretty clear. I, I gauge a lot when I'm trying a new service from what support is like, and I try to be, you know, a good citizen and everything. It, you could go into a Mesmo assuming that Ryan is off on a bear boat and wherever that was. Off the and, coast and of Belize, just, approaching just the, the blue the, hole. Yeah, talking talking to the boat guy, telling yeah, him about a Mesmo. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, just assume that and 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 file a support issue and and see see how that goes, see how well that assumption holds up. My, my experience has been that he cares a lot and is focused on it, like a lot. So I, I it's important, at least Thank to you. me. Yeah, and that's what is going to sell people on it, right? Is if they're able to not have to worry about the DevOps and when something goes wrong, you're there to hold their hand and to fix it. Because these agencies that focus on building websites, they don't want to know about DevOps. They don't care about it. That's not their forte, you know, and, and that's fine. There's no reason why they should. And I think it's fantastic that services like Mesmo are kind of stepping in to, to do something about it. So how do you feel, Ryan, having transitioned from... You know, you went to college, 
you work the, the corporate job and now you're doing stuff on your own. How does it feel to be doing stuff on your own? Is it, do you miss working with people? Do you enjoy doing it? Like how, how has that been for you as a transition? Yeah, it's, I definitely recommend working at a company at, right, right out of college because the skills that one gains from working with a team, you might not be able to find that when you're working like for yourself in your house all day, right? Yeah, sure. I, I think programming and software engineering as a skill is is one part of being a software engineer, but the other part is like the communication and the team work that is required when you build software. Which is arguably just as important. So we've done podcasts on this, right? Where we talked about what does it take to be a good developer? And if I was given the choice between an amazing developer, but a complete shithead and a mediocre or a middle of the line, you know, average developer, but someone who was communicated well and was a team player, I would take the second one every single time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, because... You know, software engineering, it's building things, you know, you have to talk to people, you have to figure out requirements. It's yeah. It takes that communication skill. It's not just someone in their basement, right, writing code like you see in the movies. Yeah, or, I mean... <laughs> Or if they are writing code in their basement, it's not going to be world-changing stuff typically, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every now and then it's a really nice basement, though. I'm going to yeah. do it right now. Yeah, it, it's it's totally... I just yeah. want to stay for the person with the awesome basement that's listening and writing world-changing software. Yeah, this is very fun. Yeah, someone's writing the next Uber or the next Facebook. <laughs> the basement is the new garage. <laughs> Sure. I mean, people will retroactively invent whatever myths that they want. You know what I mean? And Patrick and I were talking about this earlier. This irritates me. I see this all the time that someone will succeed at something and then they'll retroactively write about it. Like, yeah, just do X, Y, and Z without factoring in that, you know what? Hey, you got lucky or your circumstance was very specific. You know what I mean? Like you can't just succeed while like I've done some stuff that I've succeeded really well at, but I'm very cognizant that for a lot of them, you know, I was just in the right place at the right time for it to happen. I don't know. I, I think it's a little bit crazy that people tend to, you know, put a little bit too much stock in, in how well things turn out for them. You know, actually, you know what? There's a celebrity that was on, God, he was on one of the late night talk shows and they asked, we're asking him like, how, how should someone succeed at uh, being an actor? And he was just like, and I don't even remember who the actor was, but he's just like, I don't know. Like, don't ask me. Like, I just got lucky. Like you shouldn't, <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know. Like he didn't work hard or anything. Well, no, look, all of us have to work hard, right? I'm not saying that you don't have to work hard. Everyone that has succeeded in one way or another has worked hard, has put the time in, like all of that stuff has to happen. But the few outliers that just absolutely take off, it's not just the hard work because there are a hundred other people that are putting in the same amount of hard work that you are. Yes. Yeah. You definitely have to, I think definitely luck maybe plays a part in the success of people that, you know, are in the world. I I just, yeah, exactly. And it's fine. Like everyone that succeeds, I think not everyone, but most people that succeed have put in a ton of hard work, but also don't underplay that you just happen to be in the right place at the right time. And life is weird and random in that way. A lot of times. But thank you, Ryan, for coming on. I think that about wraps it up for another episode of the devmode.fm podcast. Make sure to subscribe. And if you enjoy the show, please write a review on iTunes, tell a friend or retweet the episode. We really appreciate it. We'd also love to continue the conversation. Leave us a comment on the devmode.fm website or find us on Twitter at devmode.fm. For the devmode.fm podcast, I'm Andrew Welch. I'm Patrick Harrington. And I'm Matt Stein. And thank you, Ryan McCullough, for coming on. Hey, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me.
Hey, sorry about that um, interjection when you were doing the. Nah, it doesn't matter. All I, all I do is I just repeat it again, and then I can just edit the chunk out. So it's no big deal. No big deal. Cool. So how many different uh, offerings do you have for a Mesmo? There's there's four offerings. Um, you know, the free tier is not in the pricing, but that is also um, available when you create an account. But there's four. I don't have anyone on the $300 per month plan. Um, yet, but I'm, I'm working on the.